from the team at CTS, this is the Train Right Podcast, our show for endurance athletes who want to learn how to train more effectively and improve their performance. I'm Coach Adam Pulford, your host for the cycling edition of the show, where it's my job to interview top coaches, scientists, experts, and athletes in the world of cycling to bring you actionable training tips that you can apply to your own training. Make sure to also listen in on our running edition of the show with my co-host, Hillary Allen, which alternates weekly with the cycling episodes. Now, let's dive into the show and learn how you can train right. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is brought to you by Stages Cycling, the industry leader in accurate, reliable, and proven power meters and training devices. Stages Cycling offers the widest range of power meter makes and models to fit any bike, any drivetrain, and any rider. They're all manufactured in their Boulder, Colorado facility, and they've expanded their offerings to include the Stages Dash line of innovative and intuitive GPS cycling computers, covering a full range of training and workout-specific features to make your workouts go as smooth as possible. And now Stages is applying its decade of indoor cycling studio expertise with the new Stages Bike Smart Trainer. Check it all out at www.stagescycling.com. Strength training has had its criticism in certain pockets of the endurance athlete community for a number of years, from not even being a thing to becoming a thing, adopted first by like triathlon and then running communities a little bit, and then eventually into mountain biking and other cycling disciplines. But it's still not widely accepted as a method of training that will improve performance for everyone in the endurance community. Some for rational reasons and some for very irrational reasons. In today's episode, I turn to an expert back on the front range of Colorado where I lived for 10 years as well uh, to help answer some of these questions. We'll discuss the valuable aspects of strength training, who should do it, who shouldn't, if that exists, and how best to use it for the sport that you participate in and time you have available. Now, without any further ado, Let's get into this week's episode with Aaron Carson, CSCS. And our guest today is a fellow NSCA certified strength and conditioning specialist, business owner, and coach, Aaron Carson. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I know that we have some birds chirping in the background. Um, where are those birds in Boulder or where are you sitting at these days? Oh, it is the sacred training grounds of the big Island. So we're <laughs> halfway down the queen K at the Monolani, um, just taking some time to rejuvenate and rest and, uh, get ready to go back to Boulder, um, to prepare for whatever comes next because, uh, who knows when that's going to happen? I just got word this morning that uh, Challenge Roth has been put off until September, which puts it perhaps in the, too much in the window for uh, the Kona World Championships. So, you know, change is probably the one constant we all have in our lives right now. That, that is true. The the ever moving bullseye that uh, all of us are <laughs> throwing our training darts at these days is it's it's an elusive one. Um, well, yeah. before we uh, before we get into uh, kind of more of that, can you tell our audience a bit more about yourself, what you do, and, and athletes you've worked with? 
You know, I am a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and that's who I love being. So I do own a pretty snappy uh, gym health club in Boulder, Colorado named Rally Sport. Um, We have the opportunity to work and host um, some of the, the world's finest endurance athletes at our club in Boulder. Um, so I get to be around them, but my passion and, and what I really, really love, um, is, is helping people get stronger to do the things that they love for longer and, uh, in a better, more efficient way. And I come from a coaching background, but it was from college basketball. I played a little, um, hoops when I was growing up and played at the university of Colorado and coached at Tulane, coached at the university of Nebraska. And all of those things just kind of came together. Um, when I had the opportunity to work and meet uh, Boyd Epley, who started the NSCA at the University of Nebraska. And I'm sure he doesn't remember me the way I remember him, but I remember mm-hmm. being completely inspired um, with the work that they were doing for the football program at the University, of, the University of Nebraska and just seeing the beauty of a weight room. So to find find beauty in that organization and the straight lines and, and the inspiration and the athletes um, – it really pushed me to to want to want to know more and go deeper and and expand how I could make an impact. Wow, that's uh, I mean, and, and you've you've played and, and coached on high levels. I didn't know you you knew and, and uh, were mentored by Boyd. Um, that's really cool. I would and, say and I think that- use that word lightly. I was not mentored, but I got to be around him. I was with the women's basketball team, you know, so they're like, oh, sure. put the girls over in the corner, get them out of the way. So, but, but I, I have a way of uh, finding the smartest guy or f- smartest female in the room and, and picking their brain and, and trying to learn, you know, lifelong student for sure. Yeah. Well, when you're, when you're close to people or know of people that have big brains, um, you know, the power of diffusion by (laughs) picking those brains is like, let's call that mentorship. So (laughs) exactly. Uh, I'm I'm good with that. (laughs) Well, that's great. Well, uh, you know, I, I'm excited because, uh, I, as well as our listeners get to pick your brain today on the topic of strength training in endurance athletes. And this topic is kind of close to my heart because um, I had a pretty unique, um, I had a pretty unique upbringing in in college to be around some pretty big brained and and um, well influential uh, strength and conditioning specialists as well. And I, and I talked about that on our last um, episode just a little bit. And you uh, don't University of Wisconsin in, in La Crosse, and they had a strength and conditioning program there that really groomed, I think, the way that I think about coaching. Um, it gave me a, a kind of a platform to go deeper into the physiology, and also it accelerated me in terms of um, being. Uh, kind of accelerated my knowledge through the NSCA, which then led to uh, coaching at Carmichael Train Systems and kind of where I'm at now. And so through that, I did a, uh, a strength and conditioning uh, research project looking at the effects of uh, strength training and plyometrics in endurance athletes. And so <laughs> kind of a long-winded mm-hmm. way of saying I am passionate about this and to, to find someone who's equally passionate, um, it, it's a great pleasure. So uh, with that, I'd say you know, the, the, the list is long in terms of what the benefits are to athletes, but could you rattle off 
some of those benefits that you see working with the athletes you work with and, and why our listeners should be curious and then pursue some of the strength training stuff? You know, I think that the most important thing to recognize is that as a strength coach, my greatest passion is to make swim, bike, and run coaches look really, really good through the performance of their athletes. Um, I stay in my lane. Um, I do my job as far as presenting a the most well-balanced, healthy, um, hormonally strong endurance athlete I can to those those coaches because I've I've I'm an athlete. I, I love endurance sports. I'm a runner, I'm a triathlete, but recognizing that probably the coaches who coach us, um, their biggest frustration is when we get injured. And it's so difficult and so challenging to be the athlete who is injured, to be the coach coaching an injured athlete, or to be an athlete who isn't progressing um, for different limitations within their, their own physical ecosystem. And so from a number one standpoint, um, I am very proud to say that my athletes um, can train harder. They can train longer. They're more durable. They're more resilient. Um, their tissue is healthier. They have a greater appreciation perhaps for the quality of the time that they spend resting so that it's, it's not just so that they can go run again because they have this full gamut um, of things that they, they do. Um, and planes that they move in, they don't just move in straight lines. Um, you know, so, so I think that there are so many benefits, but you know, longevity, um, Timothy O'Donnell, um, currently holds the, the American record for the, for the Ironman world championships here in Kona. Um, Tim has been my athlete for, for 10 years. Um, I'm proud to say that he at 40, um, you know, this year will be competitive for that podium position um, because, you know, you're, you're in your prime when you're in your 20s and you can make a lot of mistakes and, and get away with it. You get into your 30s, you make those same, same mistakes, you may not progress. You get into your 40s or towards the end of your 30s, um, you, you're not doing strength training and taking care of the balance within the body or the hormonal profile within the body. Um, you're not just not progressing. You're probably losing ground. And so it's pretty easy from my perspective to draw pretty strong lines towards people getting curious about how to approach adding some strength work, specific strength work into their world. That's, that's a fantastic question or a fantastic answer to the question and making the athlete more durable. I love that yeah. phrase actually. I love that a lot. And, and, uh, uh, we'll, we'll go a little deeper into that, Yeah. but bef- okay. So we talked about the benefits. We talked about, uh, what people will gain from this. What are the deterrents? What are the cons behind adding strength training in for those who are curious? You know, I, th- the biggest one that I hear is time. Um, you know, I don't have time for that. Well, it's amazing how, how you have to make time for it. If you get injured, (laughs) you don't have a choice. Um, the other thing I think that's a little bit misrepresented is that you always need an hour. You don't need an hour. 
three or four times a week to add strength training, that's actually perhaps one of the biggest mistakes that endurance athletes make is they do too much uh, strength training. So, so I think time is a big, big deterrent. Um, I think knowledge, I think there's a lot of bad information out there um, for, for how an endurance athlete can, can bring in uh, strength work into their, into their world. They're used to playing at such a high intensity and a high level of function that they think they need to lift weights to the same level that they would go ride their bike or climb a mountain. If they're an ultra runner, you know, we're not, we're not football players. We don't need all this armor uh, per se. So I really feel like um, there's a lot of people overdoing it. And, and that's just, you know, of course they don't think they have time. And I wouldn't want to carry around a bunch of muscle either if I was a, a high level cyclist. So I think there's a lot of misinformation out there on how to do it and what to do and how much you need to do. Okay. Yeah. And in time, uh, that's an important one. And we will get into that to see how much time this actually takes. Uh, before we do though, I want to, I want to get into like, in your opinion, who can and who should lift. So in terms of it, so for most of our listeners who are doing this, these are busy people trying to squeeze everything in, um, be the best triathlete, be the best cyclist that um, they possibly can have a family CEO position, trying to juggle everything. Yep. Can they still do the strength training? Without question. It's, you know, it's, it's just one of my greatest passions to see people to have longevity in sport. And, and, uh, Yes. I mean, I have created, I have two apps currently, um, and I don't want to turn this into a big commercial for my apps, but it'll show people exactly how much and the dosage that they can and should do um, from a global perspective. And then over time, they figure out what they can cut out. Um, but I give them a pretty good blueprint. Just do this. Like most people just say, just tell me what to do because they are busy. They are dads. Their brain powers being um, you know, really utilized in other productive ways. That's why they have coaches. That's why they have you. They, they you know, just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. And right. I've set up a pretty good ecosystem for that. And um, it's not as in depth as, as you would think. I, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago um, with Stacy Sims, Dr. Stacy Sims, and we were talking um, about CrossFit. And, and I never say anything bad about CrossFit, but it is a cert, it is its own sport anymore. Yeah. So if yeah. you love doing CrossFit, then then do CrossFit. But if you want to be a really high functioning cyclist or you want to be a really high functioning triathlete, then then you're putting yourself at risk by doing CrossFit um, because it's just it deserves your full attention if you want to do that. So I believe in Olympic lifting um, at the right time for the right athlete in different places throughout the year. Um, but I also believe in really well managed risk and reward. Yeah. Well, let's take some time to talk about those apps just real quick. I mean, if people are just, just became curious about that, uh, what are your, the apps that you've created and where can they find them? They're, they're both EC fit apps. So endurance community fitness, performance yeah. strength. And so one is EC fit on demand, which is long form video. You just put me up on the TV and I take you through a session. The other one is EC fit Boulder and that is short form video. Um, so three to five second snippets 
of, of demonstration sets and reps um, and that kind of stuff. So they just present uh, a little bit different. One is that long form is my new app. Um, that's been really successful. I'm very excited about that. Um, and it just gives people the chance to hear my voice and hear the explanation of foot position and hip position and, and arm position and, and, and a little bit more of the why behind what we're doing. So education of, of uh, my athletes is really important to me to give people much more depth in the meaning of why we're doing it. So that long form video has given me that opportunity. And those are great resources to all of our listeners out there. And I think not only during a pandemic time period where you may not be able to work with your um, personal trainer, strength and conditioning specialist or coach, uh, the form is actually really important on this. So when you can get some feedback immediately yeah. like that, I, I think it's, I think it's really important. Meanwhile, if you can't make it to Boulder or Hawaii, uh, yeah. to see Aaron, um, it, it's a great resource. So we'll put those on our Thanks. landing page for this episode as well. But I, I did want to make sure that we mentioned that. So yeah, it's just Aaron, been a really... who, who shouldn't, who shouldn't strength train? <laughs> Yeah, you who know, shouldn't? Start? Yeah, sorry about that. We kind of shut each other up, but yeah, who, who shouldn't? Who shouldn't do this? I think everyone should have it in their in their toolbox. You know, to an extent, yeah. it. I I'm very lucky to work with some of the the top performing athletes on the planet. Uh, Sepp Kuss um, was one of my athletes. Mm-hmm. Sepp's over in Europe now, working with some very good people over there. But mm-hmm. you know, you look at Sepp's performance; he doesn't need to be in the gym every day or doesn't need to be in the gym three times a week by any means. And he's a very, very strong man. And so for the sport he's doing, um, we're not lifting a lot of weights. We're repositioning his body constantly so that he maintains balance in his pelvis, balance and mobility in his upper back, strength in his upper body, um, obviously um, movement that way. Um, I'm working with some wonderful young Olympic uh, hopefuls this year um, who they want to do more strength training and I keep telling them no. And it's no because they're putting so much focus and so much intensity into their sport and they are proving to be durable enough to handle the training loads that their coaches are giving them. And so again, I'm going to pull them back a little bit from getting under load so that they can recover well enough to do the work that they're being asked to do. And hopefully that will pay off for them in, uh, in medals, you know? So so it's, it's maybe not that there's people who shouldn't strength train, but there are times throughout the year when it doesn't need to be a priority. Wonderful answer. Yeah. And, and so it kind of led you into this, and it, clearly I'm, I'm biased here as well. And I do think that knowing when to use the tools in the toolbox, if we want to make that analogy, I think it's a very applicable analogy, knowing when to use the tool, <laughs> how much of the tool to apply and then dialing it back. So um, before we get into some of those timing aspects, um, you want to take a dive into some quick physiology and neurophysiology with me? Sure. (laughs) Okay. So what's happening, the benefits of strength training, what is happening at the neurophysiological level while we do some of this strength work? What's going on? Well, without going too deep, because you know, I'm, I don't know that I can go that deep right now. I haven't been asked about neurophysiology yeah, you're in, in a while. But, hanging out but, I, <laughs> but I think the most important thing is mu- muscle activation. I mean, the body will take the path of least resistance. 
to to achieve the desired outcome. And and because we are doing repetitive motion, um, there is a certain amount of of dormancy that comes in some of the outlying muscle fibers around the constantly utilized muscle fibers. So muscle activation and as uh, switching on muscles, muscle activation has become uh, a really, really important part of, uh, of my world, building the supporting cast around the star athlete or the star muscle fibers. Yeah. And, and the reason why I wanted to start with that is because I think oftentimes my athletes and, and athletes out there, they think that it's like, Hey, I need to develop more uh, muscle in order to do this thing. When really it is about activating, waking up, whatever, whatever term you want to use. And that's as simple as doing the right movement, say in the right way in order to make the brain fire that muscle, which can go, like you said, dormant when we're just doing a bunch of repetitive things, but it happens at that, uh, the, the brain level. And that's yeah. what a lot of people don't really realize. Well, and, and the, the concept of reciprocal inhibition has been debated uh, a lot. Tightness on one side of the body causes neurological inhibition on the other side of the, bo- the body or on the joint side. So, right. you know, we can look at the adductor complex and the AB ductors, the glute med. And uh, I was referred to our current women's uh, road national championship champion, Ruth Winder, who rides for Trek mm-hmm. Segafredo. Um, her coach is Ben Day. And I was talking a lot in cyclists about glute activation, specifically with glute med, as it relates to the function of adductors. And he was like, let's talk more about this because these world tour teams have so much access to research, the European research, the research coming out of the UK. Um, and they show how much inhibition there is in cyclists in that glute med. And so when he was like, tell me more about that. I want you to work with Ruth and Ruth and I've been together now for two seasons. She's riding great. She feels really good. Um, and we do a lot of work specifically on glute med because we found that it does, doesn't work. EMG studies are showing, I can't quote the study right now. It wouldn't be hard for me to pull it up, but, um, we need in cyclists to work those lateral stabilizers. Yes. Yes. It is a very well-known thing. And you know, clearly proof is in the pudding with Ruth over the past couple of years as well. Um, and so, you know, activating the right muscles at the right time is really important. What about when athletes start with strength training for kind of the first time? So newbies getting into the gym and they start in on the training and they start to make these gains. Is that at the muscle level or is that the, the neuromuscular level? It'll be neuromuscular, but it's, it, you know, the interesting thing is, and the sad thing is, is just going and lifting a bunch of weights probably won't have the impact that people want it to have. Um, so when we look at the nervous system and we look at the fascial system and we look at the muscular system and the skeletal system, we have to look at all of it in, in its entirety. So people wish that it was just muscle development that made us better athletes. And it's just not the truth. So um, I can use Tim O'Donnell as another example, because he's, he's a swimmer turned into a triathlete and doesn't interact with gravity in a really effective way, or at least he didn't used to when I first met him. 
So we really have to have that little bit of ability and make that little bit of um, investment in time to make sure that the individual athlete um, has technique in place, has has postural integrity in place. Um, with Tim O'Donnell, I wanted to get him under heavy load as quickly as I possibly could. And it took me seven and a half months to get him mm-hmm. under heavy load because he has extremely long arms. He did not interact with gravity. Well, he runs beautifully, but when it came to loading his body, in my opinion, he just mm-hmm. wasn't ready to support the kind of load that he could. He's a strong man. It mm-hmm. just wasn't, it didn't look right. It didn't feel right. And I didn't think it would be effective. So it, it takes time, different people under different circumstances. And you have to look at it globally. It's not just muscle development. Yes. It, so that is a great point. And I think when trying to break down the the complexity of this and starting first with the neuro, neurophysiological and the, the then down to the muscle, um, you can't separate the face, facial. You can't separate the, the bone. <laughs> that actually yeah. is, is a huge part of the um, process of being able to handle those loads as well. A lot, of, a lot of people don't realize, I mean, you put yourself under heavy load, the bone moves and it's get to get stressed. And that is actually what causes an increased bone density, which then leads to better movement patterns and better durability for the performance of the athlete. So I'm, I'm really glad that you're, you brought it up yeah. in that way. That's a far better way of explaining it and saying it than I did or could have. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it, I just think it needs to be a lifelong commitment. Um, I, I think intellectually, anyone who's probably listening to this podcast has a desire to, to do this, to do sport well, whatever their sport is, and to do sport for a long time. You know, it, we're, we're in the prime of our working years you know, and so we hope that when we have more time later in life, we're still in in the best physical opportunity to where we can go enjoy, you know, riding in Europe or doing an Ironman or whatever it is, is the dream. Um, we've got to just accept the fact that this is going to be part of our world. And therefore, we don't have to solve it in a month. We have to start to figure out if we like it and, or that we like it or how we're going to like it and enjoy it as part of the process. Yeah, that's, that's it entirely. And I tell my athletes oftentimes the ones who complain about doing the strength training or doing the indoor training or whatever it's, we, we do the stuff that we don't really like to do so that it allows us to do the stuff that we love to do. Yes. And I think for endurance athletes, I think that's where strength training is. Cause I don't know too many endurance athletes that love strength training, but when they do it and they do it and, and they, it becomes part of their habits, they realize the benefits of it and they love the benefits. Yes. Well said. <laughs> uh, so that being said, coming back to some of the structural tra- changes that do occur both short-term, long-term listeners, can we talk about people who are concerned about gaining weight and yeah. there's, there's yeah. probably a climb times coming down and they may, does that happen you know, or yeah. I mean, let's, let's be real. We're going to increase that cross-sectional yeah. fiber a little bit, um, mm-hmm. in the, in the early stages of training. But I think then the muscle and body adapts to this, to the time under tension that you spend the most time. So if you happen to put on a little bit of, of muscle, um, early in the process, um, I try to reassure especially cyclists 
and, and some of my triathletes, you know, they want to stay as lean and carry as little as possible. But, you know, in the off season, we're going to try, I, I tried to get everybody to put on five to seven pounds of muscle in the winter, especially mm-hmm. my boys. Um, because as soon as we remove the strength training and put them more on their bike outside, especially, um, they, they just go back to being lean and now they're stronger. <laughs> so it's, it's a little bit of a, an early risk, but once you've seen it happen over and over again, you can rest assured as a coach, you can say, don't, don't worry if your weight goes up a little bit, maybe don't weigh yourself for a couple of months. Um, but it'll come back. All we have to do is stop doing it a little bit. So, yeah, and, it, and it is, it's functional mass. And I think it goes yeah. to when you are coaching or mentoring someone with the long-term vision of where we're going with it um, and, and take them away from that short-term, uh, you know, uh, weight gain or uh, time segment going uphill, they can then see the long-term play with it and, and kind of the benefits um, that far exceed, you know, that short-term loss, so to speak. Absolutely. I can remember being in a, in a, in a uh, education seminar with Andy Pruitt and uh, Neil Henderson at the mm-hmm. Boulder Center for Sports Medicine. And Andy just stood up there and he goes, look, everybody's championships are at the end of the season. And he or she who arrives at that start line, the healthiest and the strongest at the end of the season is going to do the best. And so is it worth having carrying a little bit more muscle maybe in April um, so that you have this resiliency through the entire summer of hardcore training here in North America? That's our summer. Um, So, so I think that that never left me. It's like, I need to deliver the strongest athlete I possibly can in September and October. And that seems to have played well. And this year, hopefully August at the Olympics. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no and, and uh, i do agree with andy on that one for yeah. sure <laughs> so can we talk uh let's talk about a kind of a common eh, not really even controversy i don't think it's a controversy anymore but a common yeah. theme that's a little popular right now in endurance uh, athletics is it's it's lifting heavy versus lifting light a lot of people yeah. are going heavy these days and why is that well, I think it, I I couldn't tell you for for everybody for sure. I know why I go heavy. Um, you know, I want to get I want to get athletes under load specifically for a hormonal response, um, the human growth hormone testosterone response to to being able to get under heavy load, so that they can recover uh, better um, and that they have just maintaining a healthy hormonal profile. And this is both for men and for women. I'm also a big fan of polarized training. So I, you know, the, we're spending a lot of time in zone one and zone two. Mm-hmm. It's that's difficult sometimes, uh, with a hormonal profile. And I'll say sometimes cause everybody's different, but I, I know that I, I really am a big advocate for my athletes coming in after a five or a six hour zone two ride, um, which is quite often in the summer in Boulder, um, and doing a heavy lift for 20 minutes and then going home and they come in dragging and they leave smiling and (laughs) they just feel better. So, you know, how they, how we approach getting them under load, we, I want to find every single one of us, there's going to be some kind of lift that we enjoy, that we like, that we feel good at. 
And it's not the same lift for every athlete. So from a strength coach's perspective, is there one or two really massively popular lifts? Yes. But from my perspective, I just want to find the lifts um, that my athletes enjoy, something that they they feel really good at. So I think I think trying out different lifts. Uh, I'm not a big back squatter. Um, I'm a big Mike Boyle fan. I know you probably know exactly who Mike is. Um, he's like, he's like, he has seen more people get injured back squatting, um, Hmm. than, than, you know, falling off their bikes. It's, it's even the NFL, they're not back squatting to the extent that they were more, more football players were getting hurt, uh, squatting heavy than they were playing football. Um, so, so I, I really, I, I have a few athletes that are very, very good at back squatting. They've done it their whole lives and we back squat because they enjoy it. Um, but I, I'm a big fan of front squatting. I'm a big fan of hex bar deadlift. Um, I like a straight bar deadlift, but it worries me a little bit just because of some of the postural concerns with endurance athletes. We're not as mobile um, in our upper backs or through our our pelvic uh, positioning as maybe we should be uh, because of the sports that we we do. So getting somebody with a straight bar deadlift um, can take quite a while to get that spine and those hips in a good spot. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with you on that one. And in particular to kind of go a little deeper on, let's just go with the deadlift, the straight bar versus X bar and getting your athletes to um, getting your athletes loaded and more of what that means as well. And I think it's getting the athlete to produce more force and, and, and therefore more power. And if you can load them up in a healthy way to get, <laughs> let's just say, get all the muscles firing and therefore increase that force production, it then leads to all the benefits that we were just talking about. And that hex bar deadlift seems to be a really effective way for a lot people, of athletes. People like hex bar deadlifting. It makes them feel powerful and yeah. and and it does bring about good growth in lower body strength. And I think there, I will quote Mike Boyle, I think as close as I possibly can, but we don't care how much weight you lift. How strong are you? Those are two different things. And, um, specific to the sport, even how much wattage can you push? How fast can you run up a hill? Those are the things, those are really the measurement, the true measurement of whether or not the program is good. That's it. That's it. So, so the benefits of going, let's just say heavier versus lighter, but is there a time and place to, to go a little light? Oh, absolutely. I will use light and moderate load a lot to enhance movement. Um, so fire up the nervous system a little bit, re reposition and re restructure it to the best extent that we can make an influence on the fascial system. Um, you know, must dehydration of tissue is a big, big part of, uh, the risk that we, we pose to our bodies. Um, just by being endurance athletes, we live most of our life in a pretty dehydrated state and Mm -hmm. people don't think about that's their tissue. So when you're dehydrated, it's not just that you get a headache and, and you're not peeing, right? It's your tissue is very much at risk. And so when we can move tissue, um, using lighter loads or moderate loads to pull us into different positions or, or, or use, uh, more of the muscle activation technique of a push, 
um, we're waking that tissue up. We're moving that tissue. We're mobilizing that tissue. And that tissue then becomes more able to accept hydration and nutrition. So that gliding of, of the body um, is really, really important. So that's that's when I'll use it for the most part. I don't need to do a bunch of strength endurance with my athletes. I, you know, I'm not, I don't think about it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. I probably achieve it, but I don't think about it that way. I think it more about movement. How am I going to get this position that I want? Love it. And so it's not, it's not heavy versus light. It is heavy and light and when. Exactly. Okay. So I'm, I'm sure we're probably confusing a few people listening to this because they're like, Oh, I just want to do some strength training. So, <laughs> so let's, well, let's... it's worth, it's worth digging in, right? It's, oh, it's yeah, not, it's, it's worth digging in. you know, any, anything worth having is worth digging in a little bit. Um, but there are, you know, I'm sure there's people beyond my community that are providing really good leadership. Um, so well, no, that's it. And I, and I think that um, the leadership, that's probably a good word for it because those who want, say, a strength training program, they can go on to the internet and find one. <laughs> but yeah. it is the, the ones leading in a, in a good, healthy way with a focus on performance. That's the one that we want to steer I, toward. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, some, of the, some of the saddest stories I've heard is people who do what we do as strength coaches, getting a hold of some of these really high caliber athletes and then just taking advantage of them in the weight room. <laughs> and I'm just like, mm-hmm. I get that you look really good doing that, but how, tell me how that's making you ride your bike better. Tell me how that is making you uh, a better triathlete. Um, just a, a quick divergence into a story in April, uh, sure. a triathlete, a pretty high functioning a uh, male from South Africa reached out to me and he says, okay, I'm, I'm in lockdown. We're all in lockdown. I want to start working with you. So I'd get up in early in the morning and I go, well, what have, what have you been doing? And he showed me his Instagram and I was like, oh my God, you could win CrossFit world championships because that is awesome. <laughs> and, and I was like, but why did you reach out to me? Because that looks like a, an amazing program. And he goes, I am just dying on the back half of the marathon over and over and over. And I was like, okay, you're a 35 year old boy dying in the back half of your marathon, doing high functioning strength and conditioning work in the weight room and trying to train as much as you need to train to win an Ironman. I think you might just be doing a little bit too much. So here's my job. Let's pull everything off the table. We did a two-week movement detox. We used um, a, a beautiful uh, form that I, I use with Dr. Eric Goodman, foundation training. Um, and so we, we did nothing but foundation training for two weeks. And then we started in with some endurance community fitness, some of my stuff, EC Fit. And he has just been training. I can't wait till the guy can race, but nobody's really <laughs> racing yet. So he feels way better. His numbers are better. His coach is happy. So just by pulling some stuff off the table, we did, I think we did him a really good service to his career. That's yeah, that's a fantastic example right there of, of how to look at someone's training and just reevaluate for not only better performance, but just probably, I mean, the guy's probably just happier, has more joy. In his life. Oh, well said. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah. He's not oh, trashed yeah. all the time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, let's, let's make some of this applicable 
and and I'd say for let's get back to the, like this time crunched athlete the the person yep. the person who says Aaron I, I I don't have time for this yeah if they're training six to eight maybe ten hours a week yep. um Monday through Friday where and when should they incorporate strength training just from a timing standpoint? You know, I'm going to, there's, there's two things. Um, one of my first, one of my first tenants that I really want people to understand is the, the key areas of mobility in the body. And I did not invent this, uh, Greg cook did a super Mm -hmm. smart and generous, uh, physical therapist. Um, and he might not be, he might've gotten it from somebody else. I'm sure he did. Um, ankles, need to move really, really well. Um, the hips need to move really, really well. And the thoracic spine needs to move really, really well. So even if we don't have time for specific going to the gym strength work, we need to be doing things that will specifically mobilize the ankles, mobilize and open the hips, mobilize and strengthen the upper back and if we can keep those three areas moving really well and not lose our postural postural in- integrity, then we're going to perform way better. So I think I, I'm with you. I get that there's time issues. I think everybody should have, uh, I, I call them my number one, two, and three of a set of light dumbbells, moderate dumbbells, and heavy dumbbells or kettlebells. Um, and if you have, it's, you don't need the big giant home gym, uh, you know, it'd be great if we could all have that, but I don't think that's the case for most people. Um, I'm a big, uh, advocate of training with a Viper, which if people want to check that out, it's, uh, www.viper.com, um, which is just a very small tube that's weighted, um, so that we can move that around a little bit, um, to, to get stronger. Your, you've got a quick video of it on your latest Instagram post. Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the video. I yeah. I use Vipers all the time, but they're great to have at home. And so I and I keep my Viper. A lot of times, I put a YouTube up the other day about why I keep my Viper by my bike. You know, mm-hmm. so so I think there's ways um, that we can make our lives pretty easy by just keeping a few things around the house. Most of my techniques don't in, don't need a full gym, which is ironic because I own one, but it's. Um, it's just, even I am so busy. So we need to have a few things in the house, but we need to commit to moving well before we get strong. Um, and if we did nothing else, if we'd never lifted weights, um, but we kept paying attention to mobility, um, and how we move, we would do way better than if we got under load, um, in a not mobile way, if that makes sense. It makes complete sense to me for our listeners. Yeah. Without going through and, and verbally describing, uh, and for those who are more <laughs> visually, uh, motivated, like myself, I need to see something then I can do it versus hear something. Um, where would you drive our listeners to, to find some of those, those movements? Well, I think the most important thing, let's do this for all the listeners yeah. will create yeah. a code and they can get 30 days of free access to my on-demand, uh, program. And if they email me, I can put them into what I call my premium membership, which is me telling you exactly what to do using both of my apps every 30 days. So I put together a monthly outline 
Um, we're right now, everybody's training. Uh, I would say we're all kind of moderately training. We're not doing a race lead up, but there's going to be tracks that people can go on. So they can go into the lead up of a, of, uh, of race lead up. They can go into a strength track. They can go into a mobility track. Um, and so let's just give them a little taste of, of my world and it can be a gift. And I'm happy to, to do that because I, I really feel good about what we're doing and how it's positively impacting people for sure of all different levels. That is so cool. And for the listeners here, like what, what we try to do on the Train Right podcast is give you cool information from grand people like Aaron but also provide the resources and what Aaron's doing right there. That that's a big thing. So for those listening right now, like, man, like stop walking your dog or pull off to the side of the road. If you're riding and like, (laughs) just type this in anyway. uh, So that is, that's great. And I think for the busy time crunched person, like they should start there. That's most of my workouts are less than 30 minutes. And so the people, when they do have more time, they just stack them. They might do a hip opener uh, that takes 10 minutes. They'll do a foundation class that takes 25 minutes. And then maybe later in the day, they'll do a lift. But everything yeah. everything I offer, there's everything from 10 minutes to 20 minutes to you can stack them and make it an hour if you want. So, so yeah, so stacking them, meaning like you take one of the workouts right after yeah. the other, right after the yeah. other. Okay. Exactly. Excellent. Um, and even if you're uh, super time crunch, you got 20 minutes. I mean, do you need to go? into one of those 20 minute movement based workouts warmed up and ready, or can you just kind of go for it? You can just kind of go for it. Perfect. Okay. We use a breath. We use a lot of breath work as well. So I know that that's a big topic right now. And uh, we're using a lot of expansion of the rib cage. We're like a lot of elevation of the rib cage. I mean, most people don't know you can even stretch your psoas just by breathing. So that's kind of exciting. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yogis have been talking about this for 2,000 years. Yeah. Endurance world is now catching on. Oh. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Just kidding. Soft job. We, we're, we're catching on. It's good stuff. Yeah, it is good stuff. Uh, so 20 so twenty minutes. I, I feel like anybody can do 20 minutes. But um, how many days per week are we talking for the busy folk? You know, in the schedule, I always put six or seven days a week. Not for lifting, but for yep. hip openers. Um, for T-spine mobility, for some foundation training, for some recovery work. It's all part of the, you know, we're not just strength coaches. We're, we're physical. We need you you to be set up well to train well. So I'm going to put on a schedule. I'm going to put six to seven things on a schedule. Um, but for a specific lift, it can be two to two and a half is what my pros do usually two and a half. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And a little, so if people are freaking out about the like six days a week of doing like something movement related, uh, quick life hack. And I know not everybody can do Do it while you're drinking your coffee. Perfect. This is really easy stuff. It's just like, get on one knee, put two hands over your head and breathe. It's, and then take a sip of coffee. You know, it's, it's stuff you can do standing in the kitchen. It's stuff that we want to be able to stuff. Actually, if you did it cumulatively, you'll find the movements that feel good to you. I embarrass the heck out of my partner, but I'll do them at whole foods while I'm waiting in line. You know, there's, there's so many movements that we can do that just open our bodies up 
um, you know, putting, don't underestimate putting both arms over your head and reaching as high as you can and just side bending. If you're a cyclist, like that's, that's one of the best feeling movements you can do. I tell that to my wife, like all the time. You know that you tell me that like every week, yeah, sorry. Um, but yeah, you take these little movement breaks anywhere, you know, drinking coffee, talking on the phone, uh, on zoom, just kill the camera or whatever. It'll Um, make you a better business person. I I would, I would stake money on it. You know, if anybody that doesn't think they have time to become a better movement person, I would challenge that you, you walk into a room to sell something or to, to present something, an idea, and you stand like a badass, people are going to listen to you. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I think it, I think it's, it's very, very much worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that it's like when, okay, well, if you're getting sleepy in the afternoon, then that's, that's when you do it as opposed to the other cup of coffee or, or whatever. And it's, and it's really any time, but that is, that's one cue that I've told my athletes too. It's like, Oh, when should I do it? It's like, well, you're feeling sleepy, like in the afternoon where yeah. really when you take a little movement break. Yeah. Yeah. Um, excellent. Okay. So those are all wonderful resources, really good advice for the busy folk. How about the athletes who they're, they're pretty on it. Like they've got, let's just say like, whatever time is necessary, but they don't want to like waste their time either. Um, how much movement things should they do per week and how much like true strength training are we talking? You know, those people are fun because, you know, when, when you're not under, under uh, duress for time, I got to be really honest. Um, I'm stick, I'm sticking with my two and a half, uh, two and a half sessions a week and 40 minutes per session. Um, and then use the rest of that time to be the best recovering person you can be. You know, if you have a good coach who is pushing your buttons and pushing you to be the best physical you, you can be, then you need more time recovering. Then you're going to need more time than extra time in the gym is going to help you. Um, so, so might not be the answer that, that you thought I might give, but I know if we I know if we do it well and we yeah. do exactly what that athlete needs, um, the recovery time will be more valuable than additional time in the gym. I was just sitting here like smiling and I was like, how do I, how do I say this to our listeners? It, it, we did not like rehearse this or, any, or anything <laughs> beforehand, but I was like, man, I would probably do like the same frequency uh, for, for those type of people and, and, and focus on recovery, focus on doing other things well. But like, that's really funny, actually. You I, knew I, we were going to like each other. Yeah, I really <laughs> did. this is great. To clarify one thing, because I because when I'm building stuff, uh, it's really it is really two and a half days. Can you tell me or our listeners what that like half day is for you? Like, what is that? What is that? Half you know, that day half day is? typically comes at the end of a long training session, whether it's a long run or a long ride. Um, I don't do a lot of ultra swimmers. Um, but it would probably come at the end of a long swim or even I do, I train a lot of golfers as well. I'm a Titleist performance person. And, and, uh, I, I would probably have them come in off the, off the range or off of a, around a golf. And so when you're in a more fatigued state, um, that's, you know, you know, the biggest thing is when, when an athlete, when races are won or lost is really at the end of the race, when the, when the golf course the golf matches one is in the final few holes. And so 
putting an athlete in a position of having to focus physically um, at the end of a, a long ride or a long run, um, mm-hmm. you're going to probably get a lot of good output um, just from a, a brain standpoint, just from somebody's focus, ability to focus. And I think it can be a real game changer. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not to say that, you know, those other two sessions throughout the week, I mean, those are focused on high quality movements in a, probably a non pre fatigued scenario. And, but those half days that you're talking about, you, you also want to make sure that you're, you're feeling properly. You're not just like totally strung out before you get into the gym. And, but when that happens, I think when you're working with that athlete that has the time there, they really listen to everything that you do. You can do that half day session, do it well, and, and really maximize that when the going gets tough, the tough get mm-hmm. going. Yes. Um, and it's both cognitive as well as physical. And when you can get athletes to do that, I, I always, I always have my athletes kind of repeat back. It's just like, you know what, we, we did, we went harder in training. <laughs> Therefore yeah. the race, it's going to be easy. Exactly. Well, we're, we're coming up to the, the top of the hour and really, you know, we, we covered, we covered a lot. We got into some muscle physiology, neurophysiology, but more importantly, we got into, which I didn't also fully plan for, but resources for free that people can, can tap into of what you're doing, Aaron. And I really respect everything that you've done. I mean, we, we haven't met um, personally. I've known of you for a while in Boulder and I was in Colorado Springs for a number of years, but having the CSCS certification and, and kind of knowing of you and the athletes you've worked with, I mean, for our listeners, she really is uh, the creme de creme when it comes to strength training. And she's worked with some of the top athletes and not to say just because she works with or has been around top athletes she she does it with every type of athlete so this is definitely somebody that you can trust in terms of you know the the content the knowledge and um and i really for those looking to add in strength training to their pandemic training program i don't i can't think of a better way to do it than this so um kind of in summary Aaron, i mean the, the number one question i like to to end with is what's what's the number one thing that you hope our listeners mm. take away from the conversation we had today you know i think the biggest thing is that the older we get whether it whether we're 25 35 or 55 the wiser we get and so you know there's that uh saying uh, if i had only known then what i know now and I think that we have done a good job. And I just want to say thank you again for including me in your podcast, because being able to share um, the kind of knowledge and passion that I have to help people become very wise athletes um, is something that's really, really important to my story with, with sport and performance. And, and I just really want people to become wise athletes and have the bodies that they they want to be performance people. They're not, you know, I'm, I'm not a participant. I'm a, I'm a competitor and anyone that's listening to this podcast and taking the time to become a better athlete, I'm going to put them in that same category. You know, we want to maybe not compete against other people, but we want to be the best version of ourselves. And it, we know, we know that the strength training is going to 
play a big role in that. I think doing it in a really organized, well-designed fashion is is really going to add meaning to that time. So I'm thankful to be in the position that I'm in. And I'm, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to serve people with those kind of dreams. And, you know, nothing makes us happier as coaches than than helping people live those dreams. I couldn't agree more, Aaron. So thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of uh, your life today to, to talk to us on the Train Right podcast and help make all of us wiser athletes. <laughs> I love that. Thanks. Thanks, Adam. Okay. Take care. There you have it, folks. You had about an hour with Aaron Carson, who is a magnificent strength coach, and you were able to listen to how she thinks and approaches strength training and endurance athletes. And I think most importantly, I mean, the powerful thing, rather than talking about sets and reps and periodization of strength training, I really wanted to make it applicable for you, our listeners. And and with that, she was really gracious in allowing us to access a lot of her on-demand strength and conditioning videos and giving you a 30 days free trial with her premium subscription. So I, I really encourage everyone If you are interested in adding strength training to your pandemic regimen and beyond, for that matter, uh, go check it out. It's on our landing page, but it's also at ecfitstrength.com. And go ahead and just click on premium, and it'll walk you through. And you use uh, the you use the code trainright. And I believe it's all capital. Don't hold me to it. Try it. (laughs) If that doesn't work, go lowercase. But uh, pass. Passcode train right, and that'll get you 30 days for free with Aaron Carson's premium subscription. Check it out, folks, and enjoy. Thanks for joining us this week on the Train Right Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainright.com forward slash podcast, where you can find social links, bonus content, and more about CTS. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show and leave us a rating on iTunes. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right.